0: What's up, Interpreters? This is Parker McMullen-Bushman, president of NAI. Hey
1: there, Interpreters. What's up? This is Song, your events manager with NAI.
2: What's up, Interpreters? I am your co-host for this episode with Songstot, Paul Caputo, NAI executive director. We have Parker McMullen-Bushman with us this week. Parker, hello. Hello. We are broadcasting live. We're all together on the same patio in a hotel in Costa Rica at the tail end of NAI's International unconference, which was an amazing success. We had an amazing time. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Right now, Parker, it's our first episode song. It's our first episode of What's Up so Awesome. It's the new podcast from NAI. We're super excited about this. Our very first guest is our brand new president for NAI. I guess to say you're the brand new president. I mean, it's it's June, right? This episode drops on June 1. Yeah,
0: it's 6 months in.
2: 6 months into your reign of terror as an AI president. <laughs> uh I just let's just start with that. How how has it been for the, you know, for the first uh, half of the year serving as an AI president?
0: You know, it's been really wonderful. I was so honored to um be given the opportunity to do this to be voted in by the membership. Thank you, uh everyone. And you know, I w- I was worried, Paul. I have to admit that when um I got nominated uh to run for this position, uh, I came with a little bit of a fear and like, uh, could I really do this? And um now that i'm in it it just has been so wonderful and just wonderful to be myself and uh bring kind of my my ideas and my thoughts uh to the table and yeah it's been great
1: yeah parker it was incredible spending a week with you um obviously you are not new to nai um, I've seen your name flying across emails. I've seen you at national conferences. Um, you've been a panelist on several webinars. So, um, but just getting to know you a little bit better here in, in Costa Rica has been an amazing experience for me. Um, and then Paul, also, you're relatively new in your position as executive director. So, having the two of you here in Costa Rica, um, spending time with a an amazing group of interpreters um, in our theme is people place planet how are you parker uh looking at, like what are you looking forward to in the next little bit uh next couple years
0: here at nai you know um i feel like nai is in a really pivotal growth phase um things are changing and we have new conversations uh, globally, new conversations within uh, the United States as as our country, new stories to be told and new voices that are being heard. And I am so excited for NAI's role in all of that. We know that interpretation is a connector, right? Interpretation allows us to bring together different perspectives and to tell stories in a way that's really impactful. And I think that interpreters are a part of these conversations, whether it is, you know, finding new ways to tell stories that have never been told before at their sites, whether it's bringing people together um, around a common goal to, to learn something. I think interpreters, play a pivotal role in our kind of uh, changing world. And so I'm excited for the ways that NAI can help support interpreters uh, in these uh, new and changing conversations.
2: In your, in your life outside of NAI, uh, the organization that you founded and, and work with now is Eco-Inclusive. That focuses very heavily on the idea of, of getting people of color outdoors. Uh, You're NAI's first Black president. You're NAI's first Black woman president. How important is the work that you do with Eco-Inclusive and getting people of color into nature in in the role that you're playing with NAI here? How do those worlds interact with one another?
0: Yeah, thanks for asking that, Paul. So my organization, Eco-Inclusive, you know, I work primarily with uh, conservation-based organizations uh, like the National Park Service um, and other orgs that uh, provide kind of natural resources and um, conservation work around the world, really. And I work with them um, on diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, topics to help them be better suited to provide spaces that are welcoming and inclusive uh, to all people. I also work to provide representation, the representation that I never had growing up for for folks of color in outdoor spaces. And, you know, I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up in Bronx, New York. And as I grew up, um, I never considered myself to be outdoorsy even though I spent a lot of time outside I know when you think about the Bronx you don't think of it uh, being a real like natural outdoorsy uh place but uh in the city I climbed trees in the city I walked city blocks with my dad uh, collecting aluminum cans because back in the day you could turn them in for money and I got a sense of place and I liked being outside um but I never thought that the things that I did or the connection that I had to my neighborhood, the connection that I had to going to the local park um, meant that I was an outdoorsy person because those were not the stories that were being told and represented. The way that my family and my community used the outdoors, whether it was a church picnic, whether it was waiting for someone to break open the fire hydrant um, Mm -hmm. on my local block, whether it was walking and picking up litter, uh, those are not the stories that we tell when we talk about getting outside, it's often, you know, mountain climbing or, you know, kind of extreme uh, sports. And so I never thought that I had a connection to the outdoors, to conservation, to environmentalism. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized the only thing it takes for something to be an outdoor activity is for it to be happening outside, and that the ways that I connected with the outdoors, um, you know, whether that's taking a walk or uh, a hike or doing an activity uh, with my friends, were valid, you know. And I think that interpretation has a role to play in telling different stories when we only tell one perspective of a thing, it leaves other people feeling like they are shut out. It leaves other people feeling like that is not for me, right? But when we learn that people have different perspectives and connect in different ways. And we can speak to that, speak to things that are meaningful to different individuals. Then we start to create those paths and that connection uh, to lots of different work. And I feel like interpretation and interpreters can do that, right? There's more than one story to tell. There's more than one way to be in a space and we can bring all of those things together.
1: So for a lot of you who don't know Parker, our awesome tour guide on this trip described her as a fashion, Colorful fashion tornado. <laughs> and so for any of you who have met Parker, that's pretty spot on. But Parker, just, you know, tell tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you grew up in the Bronx um, and that you're now living in Colorado with your family. Uh, but just, yeah, like, who are you? Girl? Yeah,
0: thanks. Um, so, you know, I have had a now 24, five-year career in environmental education and interpretation, um, which is, I didn't know that this was going to be my career. Growing up as a kid in the Bronx, I told you that I had no idea that, um, you know, uh, like I was even outdoorsy, like I didn't know that these types of jobs existed. My family moved to South Georgia um, when I was going into high school, which was a, a big kind of change and shift, uh, for me moving from the, the city to a very rural space. But in that space, I, uh, I joined the 4-H club and that was my first kind of, uh, introduction, um, to, you know, environmental education. And I, when I got, you know, out of high school, I actually went into pre-med, um, And very quickly realized that I wouldn't be able to do the math and kind of pivoted over to anthropology, um, kind of the study of of cultures um, and through that journey, right? I feel like I've had a journey that has brought me perfectly to here. I got done with my anthropology degree and um, didn't quite know what to do with it. They didn't see a whole lot of jobs for Indiana Jones, but someone told me about working at environmental education learning centers. And I started out after college and that became my career. I went back to school and got my master's of science in natural resources with a focus on interpretation and environmental education. And along the way, as I was looking to um, kind of build my career up, build myself up, I uh, got involved and found my way to the National Association for Interpretation. And that journey along the way, like, you know, leaving some points out. <laughs> I've, I've lived in many different states. I've worked for a lot of different organizations, um, but coming to NAI, I really found um, a professional home, and found a way. You know, I found leadership opportunities. I found an ability um, to kind of express myself and and be myself. Interpreters are such a Uh, welcoming and interesting group of people, you know, and if there's anywhere that you can come in and kind of be, um, especially if you're a little bit silly like me, and a lot (laughs) colorful and a little bit weird, right, an opportunity that you can really come in and, and be yourself. So even as I kind of worked through that 20 Something (laughs) year career, you know, NAI became uh, a home for me and an opportunity for me to flourish. And then in the last few years, I switched from working within organizations to working with organizations in a capacity as uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting. And I think that shift really did something to alter my brain chemistry in a little way because I found myself really able to be even more authentically myself in a way um, that I hadn't been before. So I may have been colorful before, but it, this, you you get everything <laughs> now, <laughs> everything, all of me. And it's just been such a wonderful journey. And I am thankful every day for the role that uh, NAI has played in in that journey to where I am today.
1: Parker, what challenges do you think are facing um, interpreters now more so than ever? I mean, we always have the challenge of engaging and attracting young professionals. Um, I definitely see a lot more work being done on that topic. Um, and, and really from the events perspective, right, I get to see a lot of the session submissions for a national conference, which, by the way, we are reviewing as we speak. And there are some amazing, amazing sessions um but a lot of you know indigenous voices representation um inclusiveness um what are some of the hot topics that you think that uh, interpreters are facing or that they're adjusting programming
0: to yeah um it's a great question i think that you know we're having this moment where in order to go forward we have to address our past and that uh, can be difficult, right? Uh, we evolve, when we talk about stories, uh, we get stories that we're very comfortable with. We get stories that we have all always told and been told uh, that get passed down. And when we have to evaluate those stories, when we have to evaluate the ways that things have been told in the past, that can be. Hard, but that's also needed uh, to bring us together to move forward in into the future. When we look at some of our sites, you know, um, we have. We have talked about things like indigenous uh, voices and stories of of uh, black people and other folks of color, other marginalized groups, uh, but also a lot of times those have been, those stories have been told um, kind of siloed, right? And have not been told uh, completely. Uh, we often kind of like to put on Uh, rose, rose colored glasses when dealing with the past. And um, we liked it, you know, you walk into a nature center, and there's like the whole story of the area. And then in one corner, you have like, the indigenous people of Padua Hill, right? And it's these stories that are divided rather than being a part of the whole. And we have to address that. We know that uh, when we talk about Indigenous history, when we talk about Black history, all of that's American history, and all of that needs to be woven uh, into the whole, right? Brought together to be made complete. We also have to deal with uh, kind of problematic things that have been, uh, you know, that we have upheld and now have to reevaluate. I had the honor of working with uh, some folks in the Northern California Redwoods this past year. Um, this past spring. And I went, I visited one of the parks and they showed me this space where there had been uh, the Madison Grant Boulder, that they had removed and put a piece of interpretation on. Now, if you don't know Madison Grant, uh, he is considered to be one of the founding fathers of the conservation movement. Uh, he was a very influential voice. He was a naturalist, uh, botanist. Uh, he was is considered to help uh, have saved some some species of animals that at that point were being overhunted and uh, going extinct. Um, he was really a voice for conservation and environmentalism. Uh, Madison Grant was also a eugenicist. And he wrote this book called The Passing of the Great Race. Um, He founded the Save the Redwoods League and thought that the redwoods, these large majestic trees, were, uh, you know, superior trees. And he equated, um, you know, in his book and with his writings in his book, The uh, Passing of the Great race, the saving of the white race with the saving of the redwood trees, a superior race and a superior trees. And he thought that um, uh, white people and the white race was being overrun by immigration and by other people uh, coming in. And so he had very problematic views. Um... Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, uh, kind of hailed some of his his writings, thought that the uh, passing of the great race was a great book. uh Adolf Hitler also thought it was a great book and said that it was a part of some of the work that he was doing. Uh, and we all know what awful, terrible uh work that was in Germany. And um so there was we have to think about how these um, The thought processes and uh things were woven into what we do today. Now at that park, they had because he's founded Save the Redwoods League, because he had done so such amazing work, a lot of people felt they had this giant monument to him, this big boulder. And um they decided, you know, we can no longer have have this, you know, and not only can we not have it, but we have to tell why. Like they could have just removed the boulder and not talked about it, but they didn't. They removed the boulder and they put an amazing piece of interpretation there, an interpretive sign that talked about what used to be there, who Madison Grant was, and why they ended up uh, removing it, and their thoughts about moving forward, about how our history is complex. You know, it's never like people are complex, we do good things and we can also do some really awful things and if we're not um you know talking about both sides if we're not admitting both sides then we are leaving a part of our history out and that can be really damaging to our future so in order to you know really move forward interpreters have to be willing to look at the past and be willing to deal with things that maybe we don't normally talk about but that healing has to come in order for us to move forward productively
2: we're in costa rica right now we've mentioned that already we had to come outside on the balcony or on the patio uh, of the hotel here because the wi-fi is is sketchy inside and we're using the wi-fi to record so i don't know if folks can hear as they're listening at home there's there's there are birds chirping I think I just heard a frog. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There's There's been, every once in a while, the breeze has kicked up a little bit. I hope the microphone's not picking that up. But this Costa Rica conference has been amazing. And that credit goes to Songstot and her amazing committee. We had yes. such an incredible conference. Everything came off so smoothly. It was, every day was, was planned down to the minute. It went super well. We had a, a terrific committee, Jane Beatty, Chuck Lennox, Margot Carlock. And the uh, the chair, the new chair of our international Conference committee, mm. uh, you appointed Natalia Barakque yeah, sure. to to that uh, that committee, So that's been great. And she was here with us as well. So the the, the International Conference study tour uh, kept us out of conference rooms and kept us in interpretive sites and and interacting with Costa Rican interpreters, seeing the work that they do, seeing the perspectives that they represent. It was an amazing experience. I really enjoyed n- not just seeing how you know how they wove stories of sustainability and indigenous practices into coffee making. Uh, how we saw the sort of worldwide interconnectivity of the the chocolate industry, right? Like and the and the the effects of climate change, the social justice issues involved with the farm workers in in, in both of those industries. Uh, we got to see some amazing natural environments that are changing because of the climate crisis right now. So, this international conference is part of really expanding our perspectives as interpreters and understanding the, the world at large. Working with, you know, we had an amazing meeting yesterday with interpreters from the Monteverde Cloud Forest, and we got to just sit down and have coffee and pastries with them and talk with them about the work that they do in, in creating an understanding of. Uh, of the value of this this ecosystem that is in danger because of the the climate crisis, so all of that is to say we've had an amazing time. This this international conference I think is so important to to NAI and the work that we do on the in the, in the global community, and you know part of that is the Global Alliance for Heritage Interpretation, mm-hmm. of which NAI is one of seven organizing partners. Uh, we have a series of of free uh webinars year-long put on by the different organizing partners
1: in fact today june 1 uh was interpretation canada's webinar
2: okay so yeah go check that out those recordings are available on the global alliance for heritage interpretation website all of this is preamble to just asking the question how do you see nai's role on the global scale uh, of interpretation? And what's the value of an event like this, uh, where we just got to spend four or five days with an amazing group of interpreters from around the world?
0: Yeah, you know, our our trip to Costa Rica has been so much more than sightseeing and just ticking off tourist spots. It's really been a transformative journey and an opportunity to open our minds and expand our horizon and connect with uh, fellow interpreters from another country. Um, It is, we've learned so much and just seen so much of the life here in Costa Rica, the customs, the perspective. And I feel like in turn, it's helped me to grow myself and help my practice to grow in empathy and understanding and in a genuine appreciation for different perspectives and a different way of of doing interpretation. I think the fact that this was a very intentional trip, um, focused on not only like learning but also learning about the practice of of different interpretation by experiencing uh, it has has been powerful and we know that interpretation has the power to like strengthen our uh, our cultural diplomacy and to build bridges between nations between people um, when we are delving into the stories of a different community of. A different country. We're gaining insights into their own perspectives, their struggles, their triumphs, and connecting in a way also as we relate that to our the work that we do and our own experiences back in our own homes. So we've kind of developed a sense of global citizenry that I don't think a lot of times in America that we have the opportunity to we're very um kind of focused inward as a nation and being here and being able to connect to um and learn about you know what interpreters are doing in another country i think it's so super powerful, right? We are becoming ambassadors of cultural diversity and spreading messages of unity. And I think that that's so important because we're not just uh, where we are here in the U.S. or when we're in the U.S., we're in Costa Rica now. but, (laughs) But in the U.S., right, we're just one nation of many nations that are dealing with Issues that have to be dealt with together. When we talk about the climate crisis, hearing interpretation about the way that they are dealing with the climate crisis um, here in Costa Rica, brought in my sense and brought in my connection to the work that we're doing in the United States. And so, I really feel like this this trip was just such an amazing. Um, opportunity. And I'm excited that, you know, NAI has plans to do more trips like this because it just has been a life-changing event. The connection and travel with other interpreters from around uh, the nation and around the world to meet other interpreters um, in another country, it just has been really, really incredible.
2: And what was your favorite animal?
0: The sloth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we got to see some sloths. We had
0: see some sloths and an iguana. I really love iguanas too. So I mean, it's just been amazing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so Parker, I would think that in your role now, uh, with all of your various uh, channels that that people can follow you and see the work that you do and and be inspired by you. That you you are a mentor, whether you realize it or not, to a lot of people in the field of interpretation. You're a model for for the where we hope this field is going. Who would you say your mentors have been as you've come up through your career?
0: Yeah, you know, I have actually I've had uh, two really impactful mentors to me. One uh, was Ken Voorhees, who was the executive director at Great Smoky Mountains um, Center at Tremont. And the other was Corky McReynolds, who mm-hmm. was the executive director at Tree Haven um, at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, where I got my uh, master's degree. And it's interesting, you know, if, if folks, if you're listening and you haven't seen me, well, Paul's already said, I'm a Black woman. Um, and I there weren't a whole lot of people who looked like me to mentor me, right? But these gentlemen both were uh, older white men who really wanted uh, to welcome people who were different from them into the into this field. And Ken Voorhees said, you know, something really important to me. He told me. Uh, and there were spaces, there were times when I questioned whether this was the career for me. There were times when I felt like, you know, I didn't see anyone else like me. And I was going through things like microaggressions at work. Like I was a director of education. People constantly assumed that I was either housekeeping or that I worked in the kitchen. Um, you know, people would say, weird things (laughs) to me all the time. And I kind of had to take that in, in stride. And I started to wonder if this was a place for me when I was often working in spaces where no one else looked like me or shared my experiences and can you know, told me like there is a place for you, and we need you here. And I know that it's hard, but like you, you are wanted, you are needed here. I used to uh, call Ken my my. Uh, <laughs> this is gonna sound silly, but like my white person whisper because there was a <laughs> there was a culture that I didn't quite connect with all the time, and references and things that I didn't quite understand. And I would I could call him up. I could talk to him. That was one of the best things to help me throughout my career, having someone who understood and who could translate and answer questions for me when I was lost or when I felt silly or stupid for not knowing. He never made me feel like I was less than. And then Corky helped me through my master's degree. He was my um, advisor and he wasn't usually, I did an online degree, wonderful program, University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, highly, highly recommended if you're looking for getting an advanced degree, one of the best in the nations. Uh, He wasn't usually an advisor for people taking online courses, uh, but he agreed to be my advisor because I met him through a conference and, um, you know, he agreed to take me on and it also was a wonderful, life-changing thing for me to have him mentor me as I went through that degree and as I got established in my career. So I'm so thankful for those two older gentlemen who happened to be white, who chose to mentor this uh, Black woman into the space that I am in today.
1: That is amazing. I think that um, really your story and, and your career path Um, really exemplify the amazing members that are a part of this organization and that you can come to conferences and to events with NAI with your true authentic self. And everybody is is very inclusive and very welcoming. I mean, I think we felt that here on this trip here in Costa Rica. Um, We had a lot of different uh, really from careers, career levels um length of membership within nai um lots of diverse folks here on this intimate unconference study tour and i'm i'm very proud to be a part of nai myself yay <laughs> i
2: think
1: that's a wrap.
2: absolutely i think so now we, we need talk to talk
1: for a long time we but we got to cut this off
2: this we, yeah this could go for a while i think what we need now though this being our first episode we need a uh, a, a tagline uh, you know just a, a sign off and i'm thinking
1: Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay,
2: Stay thirsty. thirsty my friends. <laughs> is probably not it. I was I'm thinking.
1: Curious, my
2: friends. <laughs> curious, my friends. What about, hey, interpreters? That's what's up.
1: I like I it. I like it. Okay.
0: All right.
2: That's what's up, interpreters.
1: Well, we are wrapping up our first podcast and let's do it.
2: Okay. Hey, hey interpreters, interpreters. That's, that's what's, what's up. up.
0: <laughs>